SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. I don't think my father-in-law likes me at all. He may be anti-nerd. Never fear. Skolnick's here. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following the franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We're wrapping up our look finally at the Revenge of the Nerds movies with Revenge of the Nerd 4, Nerds in Love, came out in 94. I'm your host, Matt. Uh, with me is Thrasher. My mishpokin isn't mistooken. And Alex. Buns! Yeah. <laughs> so, Nerds in Love. This one, at least, I, I think, goes a bit more... Not not R-rated or anything, but it goes more in that direction, I think, with some of the with the premise. And a lot of this, to me, just felt like a really old-fashioned sort of comedy. Thank you. With, that was one of the first, like an old, like, Howard Hawks era, yeah. like, screwball comedy. Well, no, it's like, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a wedding happens, and then the Three Stooges show up. But exactly. the Three Stooges are nerds. Yeah, and it's very melodramatic, and I think... That I, what surprised me most about this movie starting out, and I, and I saw this as a kid on, on the repeats a lot, is um, who Curtis marries isn't a character from the other films. Like it's a completely new character that you get very little setup on, which I think works to the movie's detriment. I think you you get to like her. She goes on, but Jeannie, played by Corrine Borer, is you know she's she's younger. She's kind of, but kind of. Uh, it's a scene where they make kind of weird noises to each other. I think it's sort of endearing, but she's from a wealthy family and, Oh, she's marrying booger. You know, it's like sort of snobs versus the slobs, Caddyshack kind of. Maybe like it would go a little bit better. if You know, you didn't go by your eponymous moniker of booger to like this, like upper class wealthy family. (laughs) That's just who he is, man. You can't contain the Dawson, but it's, it's funny. Like I, I, I do like the snobs versus slobs angle. Like it actually, I find that it works in this movie. Yeah. Although they don't put a fine, too fine a point on it, but I believe the implication because of the age difference is that Jeannie was a Delta Moo that Booger started dating in the previous film. Right. Sure. Um, in Curtis Armstrong's memoir, he mentions this is also a backdoor pilot, just like Revenge of the Nerds 3, but this was a pilot for what would have been a TV series focusing on Booger's character. Ah, but, I, I wondered if it was that, or I could have pictured this as like a big season finale, you know? Yeah, it, it gets <laughs> a bit of a season finale. Yeah, exactly. Season finale or sweet sweets kind of event. Um, After the Time Machine episode. Right. And... Yet, with all that, you know, you have not just the, the thing of the upcoming wedding coming on, but you have with um, Lewis and Betty. Betty is expecting a child and is pregnant. So Lewis has a, a huge machine in the back of his car, and he refers to as, oh, how is my fetal unborn son? Uh, 
That several is such times. a weird phrase. Yeah, that's... which I think I think it's funny the first time, but like by the tenth time, and they're doing it like in the wedding vows and everything. It's just so they just run it into the ground. And other than a few gags of oh, they can look on the TV and see the baby wanting pickles or something. <laughs> they don't use a whole lot like that she's pregnant I, I think provides some more drama for the finale when she has the baby at the wedding but more so I don't know than, if it's ex- yeah more so than any other film in this series this one is a cartoon just yeah, impossible stuff happens with with great frequency well, I, I also want to speak more on the fetal unborn son line because it's weird. Sure. And, like, again, it feels like, like, fake nerd posturing. It's like, I guess, like, a nerd would be, like, you know, would refer to their kid as fetal unborn son. But, like, maybe once as a joke, but, like, keep hammering it home. It almost makes, like, Lewis kind of come off as, like, a sociopath. Like, he doesn't, like, empathize or, like, have any warmth towards his unborn <laughs> child. You know? Like, it makes him really creepy. Like... You know, you don't it, see him as a being. It's like a like a science experiment to you. It's like again, it just kind of comes off as a sociopath. It's really weird. I mean, this one, which, which helps it kind of pick up from the last one, you do have uh, characters back from the the first film. Larry B. Scott and Brian Toshi are back as Lamar and Takashi, respectively, and they were at the very end of Adventure Thunders Three. You have Ted McGinley as Stan, but he's barely in this. He quickly gets like chicken pox, and so. Him and his girlfriend are just like stuck in the room. And when there's a big bachelor party, you know, they go and view it via VR, which is just not. I'm just not even sure why he's in here. Like, I I feel like he's there because he's contractually obligated. It's like, well, it's we're technically not going to series. Right. But it is another movie. So you have to be there's like, OK, but uh, I'm only going to stand in one scene. The rest of the time I'm going to lay down and come up with a reason for that. Yeah, in bed. Well, yeah, my they scene give him in so bed. much to do. We cut to him in bed so many yeah. times. And um, don't they make it out that like Stan and Lewis like uh, reconciled, right? Oh yeah, yes. they're friends now. Yeah, yeah, that that they was do. Good. And he he's in the nerd garb carrying that part, which is good. But it, it is nice to see Donald Gibb back as ogre in this film. Yeah, that was and good. he. Still knows how to play ogre and, and do the voice, and sometimes they'll have him talking intelligently about stuff. But most of the time, yeah, he's uh, well, he's not. And well, this is the ogre I wanted him to be at the end of the second movie. Like he's yes. he's he is ogre through and through. But because he's joined up with the nerds, he's like become this kind of like gentle giant, which I rather like for the character. Yeah, it is a nice uh, twist happening. With the, not twist, but just carrying on the plot. Um, and yet, uh, I was surprised that Robert Picardo is in this as a detective yes, hired the by the wealthy family. Yeah, who makes up evidence. And because uh, first, you know, they try to get him to have Booger uh, cheat on his fiance at the bachelor party. And they hire all these women. But I do like that they are wearing like... Uh, computer stuff as the outfits when they come out yeah well it's it's one of those things where like you can tell the scenes not written by nerds because like the very first person stripper who comes out of the cake is named miss modem but she has calculators on her <laughs> thank you that water right but there there is way too much plot in this movie yeah like 
this is a season's worth of like incident if this was like a direct to streaming series and, and like and the wedding is constantly on or off and it is always yeah. in flux which of those two states it's in right it gets a little old after a while because again like you said it's either on or it's off the wedding's off i'm gonna storm out of the scene now um and uh, it, it really does play like like the Philadelphia story or, or or something like that, like, you know, like very zany, caper, quirky, you know, bippity bippity bop, lots of uh, like silly schemes and plots and pranks and shit. Um, yeah, it's the same exact thing that happened with the Nerds 3 is that there's a lot going on, like you said, uh, Thrasher, this is like a season crammed into a 90 minute movie. And also something I have to say, this is the most stylish, stylish and visually inventive of all the nerd films. Yeah, definitely. And and something it does that I actually really love is like there, there's a really bad opening where it's like in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth and the first nerds. And there's this weird thing where it's like Lewis and Betty as like cupids. And, like, it clearly was part of a bigger scene that was cut from the movie, but I have no idea what that bigger scene was. But after that, when the title comes up, we see, like, a wedding invitation open. It's like, you know, nerds in love. You were invited to the wedding of Booger. Um, and they keep bringing that back every uh, every act. And there's, like, a, I think it's, like, a five-act structure, but every act begins with, with a close-up of a wedding invitation. And the wedding invitation opens to tell you what the act is, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, and it has kind of the fancy font you'd expect from the invitation and saying when the big new locations was. I, I did like the dialogue of the characters running around saying, oh, the rehearsal dinner is here, this is here, this is here, because uh, I remember that at, at my wedding, you're trying to you spend all this time organizing it and then trying to make sure oh, yeah. people show up at the right places and you've, you know, if, it's, if there's a restaurant or catering involved, you've you know, tried some of the food and know what to expect, but you're still stressing out that, you know, all this, all the little dominoes you spent all this time setting up just to fall down just right. And uh, at the end of the day, um, that you, you have kind of like a clumsy thing going on with the, the, the sons and stuff of the wealthy family and who's going to get the money. And there's a lot of sincerity, I think in the, the acting with the, with the relationship, with all that um th there's less of those new nerds from the, the third one uh the next generation than i expected you have kind of yeah. a graduate joke going on i i was like maybe they're just you know they're too busy studying right well i guess i guess you only of the of the nerds introduced in the previous film i guess you only get the two the two buddies um, a puppus and the young Skullnick, and you get uh the British dude or the fake British dude, depending. The the UK miscellaneous guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, played by the like John Panette, right? I mean, he's there, but otherwise, you're right. It's um. Other than that, it's the original nerds from the original movie. Yeah, she's back. Yeah. You know, Lamar's back. Yeah. Oh, and also, and something to the film's credit, Lamar gets to be gay and gets to like have, have his own art and he gets to be sexual and like nobody shames him for it. It's just yeah. like part of it. Like when, like when the strippers show up and he's like, well, this doesn't interest me. Oh, but there's one other gay guy here. So he does his own little strip tease and like how 
there's that uh there's like the wedding planner is just absolutely flaming he's like a flaming niles crane type <laughs> and he starts out oh honestly these nerds and by the end of the movie he and lamar are hooking up <laughs> it's very <laughs> sweet yeah I, I i like the i like that about this and the third one like the third one the lambda 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 is like much more integrated there's like women there in terms of representation and this too yeah you have you have an out gay character who is uh, i guess to be sexual and like you said he's not ashamed for it it's actually a pretty pretty you know pretty uh, ahead of the curve for its time it is so bizarre that Revenge of the Nerds is simultaneously the most reductive and most progressive teen sex comedy series ever made. Yeah, I didn't think we were going to, you know, uh, I didn't think we were going to get such a broad uh, spectrum here. But, hey, you know, this is why we do what we do, right? <laughs> yeah, it's in that way, it was more. Than what I was expecting. Um, this this subplot of like them trying to be like, oh, he's uh, Booger had a child out of wedlock with someone else, and all that, and that they actually have a girl show up later after they've proven that that was a false allegation. <laughs> I think it's sort of confusing, and and that so much of it just takes for budgetary reasons. Um, I would think just take place at you know the big restaurant or the reception hall where the wedding is at that it's, it's a lot of things happening to booger but it's not making booger a very active participant yeah in what's well, happening also if we learned anything from the past movies booger was always good at you know stocking up on prolactic so well yeah and, and that's even a thing he talks like he talks about you know i've really you know i've sowed my wild oats between here and akron or ever and like but you know i always took precautions i'm not crazy which is you know Again, we are we are coming out of the AIDS crisis as this movie is happening. Uh, mm-hmm. We're finally getting it under control with with you know safe sex and with new drug therapies at this time. And so, like, I like that they take that that stance that you know you can have sex, but you gotta you gotta take precautions. But then he's like, but then again, I did it so much. Who knows? I guess it's just to fail one time. HyperX has refined their lightweight Cloudsteiner headset and now proudly presents the evolved Cloudsteiner 2. It still keeps the same rotating ear cups, swivel to mute microphone, and comfort, and now adds two years of premium DTS Headphone X activation. Get even better in-game audio and a number of other refinements for the low, low price of $50. Available now at HyperX.com. There's a few problems with the whole Booger has an illegitimate child subplot. And like one of them is, you know, it's not really his daughter. It's just like a girl they got from an orphanage. So apparently orphanages will just give children <laughs> to skeezy detectives who show up. I know. Like what the in hell? In a day. Right. Uh, but then the other thing is there's a great bit when uh, when they're at the rehearsal dinner and um, – the uh and the and the uh the brother-in-law and the skeezy detective he's hired to 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 run booger out of the family when they show up to make these allegations you know booger's lawyer skills come into play and he makes a very logical argument for why this can't be true and and even to the point where he's like you know but if she was born out of wedlock why doesn't she have her mother's last name and and the only thing they can say is I don't know. And apparently that holds up. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. 
it's like they so want him out they don't care which i guess is kind of true to human nature but it's also not good screenwriting right oh but i really so like the, but yeah that's a glorious food fight though that breaks out oh yeah uh, that is a pretty epic food fight i will say it feels real it feels messy um and I just love like with, with like the whole like Booger has has a secret daughter, and Ogre just says, "All right, Booger." <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't do it, Booger. <laughs> say it, Booger. It's like there's something I won't say because I consider you all family. Say it, Booger. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I I missed Ogre. I truly missed Ogre. Yeah. And it, it's fun to see how much Ogre is constantly eating and eating, and how much food he has piled up in the plate. It's just a ridiculous kind of like dagwood what? amount mm-hmm. while talking about the economy <laughs> yeah. yeah with the production side downsizing you know you, you can't you can't just consolidate you know? <laughs> yeah no it's a it's a good gag i like to gag near the end when uh, lewis's child is delivered and his first name i think is like kunta like Ruth yeah like Kunta Kinte. Kinte. yeah which is weird. You'd think it would be like Kirk. Like you'd think they'd go with like a Star Trek, a direct right. Star Trek name. Yeah, it was surprising that Picard, Jean Luc Picard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just surprised that you have um, James Cromwell showed up in both Revenge of the Nerds three and four. He's in all the Nerds movies. It's fucking crazy to me. Um, I just but wasn't I expecting love- that. Well, I also love that it's not just a throwaway cameo because at that point in the movie the like the priest like the the priest has been somehow eliminated i forget exactly how but there's no one to conduct there's no officiate to conduct the ceremony and then it turns out mr skolnick senior is an ordained minister in this like like cult i guess and so he conducts the ceremony i remember like kind of african robes i guess i I think what makes uh the significance of james cromwell i might have mentioned this in previous episodes but like the I guess now iconic, or especially when this came came out, iconic nerd love <laughs> was um it was James Cromwell doing an impression of his um I think his ex girlfriend or ex wife or whoever was former partner. That's how she laughed, and it was just like him doing an impersonation of her laugh. Aww. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's that's a that's a through line there that that links James Cromwell to the series. He must have real affectionate for it. For, uh, I'm also surprised at how much humanity they give Booger because, like, the whole like the whole like bachelor party thing, which first a bumper pool tournament, how original, <laughs> which is not meant sarcastically, but I could totally see that being a lot of bachelor parties. Like when he's like left alone with the stripper, and you know you think he's gonna have sex, and then later, like when he comes out, he's like, "Did you do it? Of course I did." But then later, <laughs> you know, it's 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 revealed I didn't actually do it. I just you know. I wanted to look big in front of the guys. And we even get to see on video his encounter with the stripper. And like the moment the door shuts, he just gets really deflated. And he says, I, you know, I can't go through with this. I'm, I'm really in love with somebody and I don't want to betray her. And he gives that whole nice little speech. And so if you don't mind, can we just sit here for a few minutes and then we'll just leave and we'll act like something happened. And, and, what I absolutely love though is that when we see that, because like again, the 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 series love of poorly hidden video cameras. There's like a video camera coming out of a statue in that room that the brother-in-law has set up to incriminate Booger when he is showing the video to the family. 
when he's showing the video to the family, you know, they see that whole thing and they see that nothing actually happened. So his name is cleared. And then it cuts to the brother-in-law being whipped by a dominatrix. Uh, and he's now humiliated. And there's that, that great scene where when, when Booger is confessing to Skolnick about it, and Skolnick goes, oh, no, we know. We know you didn't have sex with that stripper. How did you know? Oh, because we saw it on the videotape. We switched out. Yeah. <laughs> to incriminate the guy. And it's just great. Like I love that. I love that all the. I love that. Like all those the wheels kind of keep grinding against each other. It's it's fun. And the other thing I love is that the that that family, um, Jeannie's family, they become better people, and the best is brought out of them simply because of the presence of the nerds. That is a good point. And um, one thing I was uh, surprised by, like, well, we've commented that this feels like a old like '30s '40s style screwball comedy. Um, it really does evoke that feeling, I think, in an actual pretty good way. It has like I feel like it's it consciously leans into that um, structure and actually works to the benefit of the movie. And like in and in the spirit of the movie, you the you know, the 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 crusty, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you say? The. Um, you know, the, the crusty old, uh, you know, r- wealthy family, you know, they learn a little bit. And, and again, like you said, by virtue of the presence of the outsiders, you know, which is a good theme. Well, and I was surprised sort of the earnestness of the at the end of the film where you do have the um, they dropped who they call is Booger's adopted daughter, but isn't just someone they got from an orphanage. And then at the end, they decide to adopt this um, looks like 12 year old girl or something. Uh, from the orphanage it's a happy end I was, I was not expecting that I thought they'd have some some joke over dump at the orphanage or I don't know that they had, <laughs> it, it had a nice kind of sincerity that I wasn't expecting as does the whole thing I mean you um, you're right Thrasher you said it's more visually inventive you have a lot of people running around in the outfits and and hijinks and stuff and it's less uh Oh, speaking of which, there's a whole weird subplot where, like, it turns out, like, Ira Puppis is, like, the world's greatest lover, and he, like, hooks up with Jeannie's aunt, and they just spend the entire weekend in bed together doing every possible thing there is to do. (laughs) It makes you wonder if they cut scenes with them or something, because there's... Well, we know they cut something from the intro, so I could totally see that. Oh, and I guess we all love Robert Picardo because of his work with Joe Dante and his turn as the doctor on Star Trek Voyager. What did you all think of him? Because this was the year before Voyager premiered and he still got his hair. He doesn't have like the doctor bald head. Right. She's, um, I, I think he's good here. I wish the detective would have had more to do. They, again, there's like, um, the third movie had this problem a bit too, where they do a lot of setup and then stuff gets wrapped up a little bit too quickly. I mean, he's giving it his all. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing just an adventure with this skeezy detective. <laughs> yeah, but that's because I love Robert Picardo. He's great in everything, and I love that he's not only is he not phoning it in, he's giving it so much more than this movie needs. Yeah, no, he's definitely. Uh, they definitely lucked out casting him. That's for sure. Us. Awesome. 
We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. The Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but to the changed meaning in Japanese it means to temper. Other times, we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Check us out at the HyperX Podcast Network. Explode When Defeated presents something really neat and full of meat. Those children aren't going to protect themselves in a brand new podcast series about everyone's favorite giant reptile. Godzilla? No, we already did that one. Rodan? No, uh, we did that one too. Gorgo? Gamera. We're talking about Gamera. From turtles to medieval samurai golems on our new series, Demolition Die. Only on the HyperX Podcast Network. Oh, and another thing, like two two other things that really jump out. I talked about this like being a cartoon. There's a bit early on where Genie's family, like the father, like and and his son, like look at like this family tree and like they see the family tree, but then like an extra circle appears next to Genie to signify the marriage. But then like boogers in it, and he's picking his nose, and he just like turns to the camera on the family tree and says, "You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your relatives." <laughs> <laughs> and like again, a cartoon gag, and also like the final, final reconciliation when the wedding goes back on. Where like where like Booger steals the pool skimmer and pole vaults into Genie's room, <laughs> which what saves it is he doesn't go flying through the window. He only gets so far as grabbing onto the balcony. But at the same time, that is a complete cartoon move. <laughs> right. It's a cartoon move in the struggling as he tries to get up there, and it's uh, it brings some action to the proceedings. I think it livens things up. I wasn't expecting it to to go quite to that level. Um, and I guess we can sort of wrap up with our last thoughts in the film. You know, I, I guess I would give Revenge of the Nerds for Nerds in Love. I would give it a sequel. No, I don't think it quite for me quite crosses up into being a recommendation, but it's sincere in what it's trying to do. And I like that it's, it's different tonally, you know, it's trying to do a different thing than some of the other movies. I like that it tries. It just uh, doesn't quite work for me. Um, director. I'm going to give it a sequel, yes. I found it more entertaining than the previous entry. As I said, there is way too much plot for this movie, but I like a lot of plot. I like a lot of story mechanics. Uh, I think we get some really winning performances. I like the level of humanity that they give to Booger. Also, no sex crimes in this one. And there we go. Uh, we finally have an installment where we can say across the board, no sex crimes, which is rather good. If they, If they had done one more, I mean, maybe it would have been bad, maybe it would have been good, but I could go for one more continuing off of this, continuing off from, from this point. Yeah, rumors that now that um, Disney owns Fox, uh, that Robert Carradine and Curtis Armstrong have been trying to pitch um, Disney on a new Revenge of the Nerds movie, so we'll just have to see huh. what they do, if it's right for a streaming service or maybe it'll be a series who knows but they've been trying to do more with this and all we really got after this movie is you had a tv show that was sort of a, a spin-off called king of the nerds that was a reality show but it was hosted by uh, curtis armstrong and robert carradine uh alex what do you think of the movie um, I will like the last film. Um, I, I appreciate what it's doing. It's, 
it's a very 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 slight sequel yes i i really i dug the kind of like throwback um zany screwball comedy uh vibe and i think it it, it consciously leans into that and i appreciate that um it's it's fun and harmless it's it's stupid um and completely unnecessary but i mean i guess it's a fucking it's the fourth director video uh revenge of the nerd sequel so i'm not gonna get you know i'm not gonna wax philosophical about that um but yeah, it's it's fun. It's stupid. It's silly. It, it's um, and genuinely uh, pretty pretty funny at times. Um, but yeah, no, enough's enough. Once, like you said, it's like in space. You know, like once you get nerds in love, it's like all right, it's time to wrap it up, guys. No, no, they got to go to Australia. That's the other. Oh sequel. yeah. Oh yeah, Australia. Exactly. Down under space, Australia or space New York. and it. in love. Yeah. I can see the the cover box the box on the poster. Uh, right now, it would have a kangaroo with a pocket protector. And it would be called Revenge of the Nerds Going Down Under. The yeah, yeah, it's a double entendre. Voice acted by the original cast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, they could have done a Revenge of the Nerds animated series in the 90s. That would have been. They shouldn't have, but they could. Oh, no, this would be live action no. kangaroos, yeah. I see live action kangaroos. Yeah. They'd be designed by the Jim Henson Creature Shop. Yes. No, I'm taking like we would take a live kangaroo, put a pocket protector on it, and then just a pair of glasses on them and just like film them hopping around the outback with Robert Carradine being like, oh, 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 I'm a kangaroo. Yeah, I was about to say, since, since nobody knows what kangaroos sound like, they can just do the nerd life. Right. <laughs> Certainly. Um, on to what you're watching. Uh, Thrasher, what have you been watching? So I just overshooting a bit, so just missing the 40th anniversary. Uh, I watched the August 28th, 1982 episode of Son of Svenguli, The Eye Creatures. So oh. Son of Svenguli, Son of Svenguli, and now again Svenguli, classic American horror movie host. Uh, some brave souls have been finding old VHS tapings of airings and putting them online. And so just for fun, I decided, oh, I'll watch The Eye Creatures. Because The Eye Creatures, it's a very infamous B movie. Uh, because first, uh, it is a cheap remake of Invasion of the Saucermen that AIP only made because they sold a sci-fi film package to television syndication. But they were one movie short. And so they had to make an extra movie, and this is the one that they threw together. So it uses reused special effects from other movies. It uses reuses the script from Invasion of the Saucer Men, but to pad it out to ideal airing length, they add a lot of bad comedy bits. Uh, also, they didn't have enough full eye creature costumes, so when the aliens invade, only the ones in the front have the full alien costumes. The rest just have masks and they're just wearing black leotards and sneakers. <laughs> um, the title card is also wrong. Uh, it's uh, it's the, if you read the title card as it appears, it is attack of the, the eye creatures. Uh, and it was a classic episode of mystery science theater 3000, which is where most people saw it. But even then they had to cut some stuff out just because of the way MST three K works. So I watched this Sven airing, and it's really fun. I got to see more of the movie than I'd ever seen before. Uh, it was still, you know, because it's all cut up, because they 
keep cutting back to Sven Gulli for his running commentary and his gags. Uh, those gags are really fun. I love kind of homemade local comedy, and this certainly has a lot of it. The other thing is because it's taken from a VHS recording, it has all the old period commercials. And that was a really fun time capsule. Uh, some of some of it just for pure nostalgia reasons. Some of it just to see how our perception, the perception of products and things have changed. But of course, one of the ads was a Bill Cosby Jello pudding pop uh, ad that reads very, very differently now. Uh, <laughs> so be so be forewarned if you seek this out. But I had a lot of fun. It's like. It's a terrible movie, but it's terrible in some accidentally entertaining ways. And, you know, you'll learn something from Sven Gulli, you'll laugh with Sven Gulli. So definitely check out Son of Sven Gulli, The Eye Creatures. It's all on YouTube. <laughs> nice. Great. Oh, and, and even Alex? the movie's poster was repurposed from the movie The Crawling Eye. Oh, shit. Cheap. All right, Alex, what have you been watching? I have been watching something that is very good. I don't know why I'm talking like that. Um, I've been crushing. I, I'm not been crushing. I crushed the um, mini series by uh, Olivier Assayas Irma Vep. Um, it's on HBO streaming, whatever one plus max. I don't fucking remember. Um, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, I'm a big Olivier Assayas fan. And back in 96, he made a film, Irma Vep, with his, um, I think, wife at the time, Maggie Chung. And it's about a French director, not unlike Assayas himself, making a remake of uh, Les Vampires from, uh, by Georges Foulet, the, the old silent serial, as like a stylish 90s kind of like thriller, like uh, inspired by, you know... Um, Inspired by, you know, Catwoman uh, and Batman Returns, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman with like a like a kinky vibe. And then the production kind of goes all AWOL and, you know, movie stuff happens. So what he did with this is that he rebooted his own concept, remaking his own movie as if that um, as if this hotshot director in the present day is remaking Les Vampires um, with like a modern twist starring Alicia Vikander. Um, and the whole thing is that it's a, it's like this meta commentary on like remakes, on reboots, on like even like, you know, uh, like me too and cancel culture and stuff like that. And it's also this like savvy commentary on Asayas' own career and even references his old film of Irma Vep. And it also like has a thing about like, um, you know, like uh, modern blockbusters, like the MCU and stuff like that. And if you love any like peek behind the curtain making of a movie movies, this is like the one of the best. This is like the one of the best meta movies you could see. And it explores some really fascinating territory. And what's really cool is that the main character in taking on the character, the, the character of the grand vampire of Le Vampire um, becomes a, like a, like a criminal herself and it starts taking on the character in real life. And it's a, it's a fascinating miniseries. I would strongly encourage anyone if you're even curious about movie making, check it out. It's probably the most sincere depiction of of uh, behind the scenes movie you'll ever get. Oh, and just just to lay this out, Irma Vep, yes, that is an anagram for vampire. Yes, if if you are very very slow to the punch. <laughs> oh, I have to ask: Have either of you ever seen the play The Mystery of Irma Vep? No, I've always wanted to. I think oh. I think I have to, given all the. I, I've seen it. 
it is delightful. It, it's a comedy inspired by Penny Dreadfuls and like and like cheesy horror movies. Uh, and the whole the whole part of the whole conceit is it's a whole huge play that like travels the globe. But every part is designed to be played by two actors who are constantly changing costumes. And talking about metafiction, there are some jokes that make reference to the fact that every part is played by two people constantly changing costumes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And one more thing. There's this magnificent actor, uh, Lars Eidinger, who plays this, like, fucking, you know, this pompous, like, Jared Leto-esque bad boy, um, you know, fucking... Um, you know, uh, Stanislavski, uh, fucking method actor. Yeah. And he is so great in it. Like he's just such a giant asshole, but like you kind of love him for it in a weird way. Unlike you would Jared Leto. Um, and it's, it's worth it. There's so many reasons to watch this and that's one of them. How could you not love someone who sent you a box of used condoms? Right. Yeah. And it, it does make a commentary on that as well. Um, that like, you know, you don't do that. That's shitty, but, um, there's just something, there's some brilliant alchemy going on to this, uh, to this movie. And, um, I think he is a huge part of that. Yeah. Uh, something I've been watching is the, uh, fourth season of what we do in the shadows. Oh, and yeah, I have to so say, I yeah, I have to say it's it's definitely better than season three. Season three, I felt, you know, it was shot when the COVID-19 pandemic was starting and it, it just felt kind of more limited in scope and kind of, you know, doing some of this, the old gags, but they introduced some new characters and have some more um, plot twist in, in season four. I think that that helps liven up the show a bit. And it's already renewed for seasons five and six. So, excuse me. So we'll see how it keeps, oh my uh, gosh. How it keeps on going. What? I just, I just discovered something. Uh, so when this, when this Revenge of the Nerds 4, Nerds in Love first aired, it was part of a big Fox promotion. Apparently it was originally telecast in 3D and you uh. could get 3D glasses, Foxorama 3D glasses from 7-Eleven, but also it had an Odorama gimmick. You could get scratch and sniff cards and a prompt would appear telling you which number to scratch and sniff at what time. Uh, weird. Very strange. Yeah, that's very strange. I wonder if those scratch and sniff, sniff things uh, keep their sense. Some do. I've heard some do. Like the the uh, the the ones from polyester. I've heard actually have inexplicably like they will still produce scent. Yeah. Oh, all the ones from polyester are like gross, right? It's like farts and boogers and shit. Yes. Rotten eggs and things. Oh man. Oh hey. F so one of the Rugrats movie sequels also did a scratch and sniff gimmick. They use the exact same scents from polyester. Yeah, like John Waters actually has been on record. It's like they That's a tribute. literally, yeah did the same thing <laughs> and, and i know like I, I know like when he's talked about it he kind of goes back and forth between being absolutely flattered and also a little upset that he didn't get a check for them using his yo big time yeah as he yeah did. they didn't file a lawsuit um so why don't you set up the sequel scene thrasher all right so this uh sequel scene this is oh and actually oh i think i just found uh a picture of the scratch and sniff cards. Okay. Nice. The scratch and sniff cards do not say what the scents are, 
they just show different pictures of the characters. So, dang. I will try to do research and see if I can find what these are. We'll talk about that in the future episode. But the sequel scene. So, uh, this is when Jeannie, uh, this is this is just after uh, her, Jeannie's family meets Booger for the first time. I believe he is in the kitchen looking for a steak because Jeannie's mother, like, passed out and hit her head on the coffee table really hard it's a brutal looking stunt <laughs> uh and so this is genie and her family uh talking talking about booger so i guess i'll do genie okay um I'll be tippy i'll be aaron and you can do the stage directions thrasher go all right i love booger and i'm gonna marry him no matter what you say genie to aaron what did you say to her? Nothing. I just made a suggestion. Oh, can't we all just get along? He comes up with a guy that looks like he came out of a vending machine, and I'm the one who's doing wrong. Yeah, I mean, this is a good example of like the kind of screwball comedy sort of uh, dialogue that's, that's in the film. And, and also turning can't we all just of... get along into a punchline. Yeah, better, better line than looks like came out of a vending machine. Looks like came out of a police lineup, or looks like he yes. came out of an episode of The People's Court, or looks like he came out. Of, I, yeah, I can go on. Uh, maybe I should just be People's a Court was a People's Court was a gag they would use a lot at that time too. I could see that one. Yeah, being uh, being in there. So, um, Thrasher, why don't you talk about what movies we're covering next on the show? Okay, so we are going to do something unconventional. I really wanted to do. And it's it's been ages since we've done an unconventional trilogy, and in fact, it may even like I think the first one we did was when we did the animated the animated Tolkien films, which you know Ooh. are technically a trilogy, but with different creative staffs, different producers, different methods of distribution. So we're going to do that again. We are going to do the Jay Ward trilogy. Jay Ward was an animation uh, producer famous for Rocky and Bullwinkle. And there is a Rocky and Bullwinkle trilogy, but Rocky and Bullwinkle are only at the very end of it. So this Jay Ward trilogy, it begins with the made-for-HBO movie Boris and Natasha, <laughs> which is just about the Potsylvanian spies, uh, which originally played by uh, Paul Fries and June Foray. I cannot wait to see this movie. I've been trying to track it down for years and it finally showed up on Tubi. So now I can finally get my wish. We'll see if it's a monkey's paw or not. Then <laughs> part two is the Dudley Do-Right film, which came out in the, that was, uh, that came out in the mid nineties. That's starring, or, or no, sorry, late nineties. That's starring a uh, Brendan Fraser who is having a kind of a career renaissance right now, which is great. I think he's he gives some delightful performances. Dudley Do-Right being a supporting character in Rocky and Bullwinkle. He did some interstitial cartoons. It's all about the comical adventures of a Canadian Mountie. And we'll talk about the controversy that caused in Canada uh, when the original animation aired. Um, mm -hmm. And then finally, it's going to end with, from the early 2000s, the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie, uh, which has Rocky and Bullwinkle, the animated characters, coming into the real world, finally. Ah, <laughs> cool. So this is going to be a real dog's breakfast of a trilogy, but I cannot <laughs> wait. Yeah, and very different approaches, too. Um, I, I was hearing, reading somewhere that originally for Dudley Dear Right, they were trying to get Kelsey Grammer. Ooh. What? To play but then it, they but... said, get, get Fraser, and then they got Fraser. 
because they misheard somebody. <laughs> I think so. And around the time Frazier did that um, George of the Jungle movie, too, didn't he? Yes, which that is also a Jay Ward cartoon, but it is separate from Rocky and Bullwinkle. But it did get a sequel, so maybe we'll go back and we'll do those two films. For a that's second, nice. when you said Frazier, I thought Kelsey Kramer. <laughs> well, that's why it's Fraser, not Fraser. Yeah. Fraser. Or, yes. or Fra- I just think that. I bet he gets that misspelled a lot growing up. Well, he actually did a bumper for Comedy Central during the early years of The Daily Show, where that was the bumper. It's Fraser, not Frazier. If you call me Frazier, I will break your neck. Right. <laughs> it was a fun bit. Very good. Okay, really so, uh, follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. Uh, follow me on Twitter at WT2Art. You can follow me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914, and I can't remember my Instagram name. Holy bully. <laughs> All right, so um, check out past episodes of the show at SequelCast2.com for SequelCast2. This is Matt. This is Thrasher. Meow, 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 Alex. Saying. Oh, buns, I want buns! Give me those buns! <laughs> I'm a fucking nerd of oh, revenge. Blah, 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 blah. You got to move. I'm a spooky nerd. I'm going to haunt you with binary. Shit.